Welcome back to another episode of Working Wife, Happy Life. This is Bethany Baines. As most of us, uh, hopefully all of us know, there has been a rise in anti-Asian sentiment and outright racism and heartbreaking hate crimes, inclusive of murders, since COVID-19 began. It's been weighing on many, both within and as allies of the Asian community, And once again, we're reminded that this is not new, yet it's significant and harmful, and there are entire communities who are living in fear and pain. And the more I think of hate through the lens of racism, the more I think about how much of it is rooted in fear. It's born from fear of what's different. It's bred by ignorance and dehumanization. This morning, I was listening to a song by Death Cab for Cutie uh, called Where Soul Meets Body, and the concept really stuck with me, like visualizing a microscopic layer of where we physically and spiritually transform from who we are to what we are. And when you think of it in that way, it's so painful that this like sliver-thin concept of how our souls are physically manifested by our bodies It's almost impossible to distinguish it in ourselves, but it has such tremendous impact on the world we'll live in. It's how we show up. It's how we're greeted by the world. It's how we're treated by the world. It's how many assumptions will be on our shoulders before we even open our mouths. It's really how much bias we will all have to face each day. And if you have 15 minutes, I really urge you to watch an incredible TED Talk, uh, which was by Verna Myers, who's an author and an activist, and the talk is titled How to Overcome Our Biases, Walk Boldly Toward Them. In this talk, she shares the sentiment that biases are the stories that we make up about people before we actually know who they are. Think about that. Before we actually know who people are, we've all been underestimated, we've all been the recipient of one assumption or another, And we've all done the same to each other. So the only way to break down these walls of assumptions and biases is if we truly become curious about one another and we strive to connect as humans. And with that goal, I am so excited to bring this next conversation to you over the airwaves. Today's guest, Susan McPherson, is a serial connector. She is the founder and CEO of McPherson Strategies, which is a communications consultancy focused on the intersection of brands and social impact. And she's the author of the new book, The Lost Art of Connecting. Throughout this incredible conversation, we discuss human connections, how to make them deeply meaningful as an opportunity to learn from and about one another with each engagement. We talk about what some think of as a dirty word, networking and how it differs from true connections. Susan offers ways to build and maintain your community, as well as tips on how we can all reemerge from this odd world in terms of human interaction with intention. Susan is warm, funny, thoughtful, and sincere, and by fully embodying all of these traits, she guides you with recommendations that replace any daunting thoughts of relationship building into an incredible adventure in humanity. 
I also want to share a quick disclaimer that we experienced tremendous difficulties with my Wi-Fi during this interview. <clears throat> Xfinity. So apologies if any of the episode alludes to that. You may hear me swearing at some point if that doesn't get edited out. Anyway, here is my conversation with Susan. Susan, I am so happy uh, that we are having time to connect this morning. Thank you so much for making the time to be a part of Working Wife Happy Life podcast. Welcome. Bethany, I couldn't be more excited. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we had some some technical struggles the first time that we tried to connect, and I can't think of a more kind of apt segue into your your expertise in terms of the importance of connection and the importance of being human, um, and particularly during this time. So to introduce you to our audience briefly, uh, you are a quote-unquote serial connector, uh, a seasoned communicator and founder and CEO of your own company, McPherson Strategies, and that is a communication consultancy that's focused on intersection of brands and social impact, which I love uh, that that commitment and that tie. Um, and you have an upcoming book called The Lost Art of Connecting, The Gather, Ask, Do Method for Building Meaningful Relationships. Um, And jokes aside of our first uh, introduction, but what a meaningful topic right now. I can't think of anything more relevant. You know, it's funny. The original thesis for the book was actually the fact that we had become so over-dependent on technology and we had lost our humanity. And of Mm. course, a month into writing the book, guess what? The entire world shut down and our only means and mode of connecting was the technology that I originally was saying we needed to step back from. So um, it it took a bit of a, um, I would say a boomerang, I guess you could call it. Um, But if anything, now, a year later, that we are sitting on almost the cusp of being able to reemerge. We have the glimmer mm-hmm. of hope. Um, you know, we just found out yesterday the CDC said if people had both their vaccines, they could be inside with others without masks. Okay, that is a huge momentous occasion. Um, yeah. And more and more people are getting vaccinated. So that means we will be able to eventually, uh, you know, I'm not a, I don't have a crystal ball, but eventually be able to actually be together again. Um, yeah. But the good news is, is I think we, we've learned, first of all, how amazing the technology is to keep us connected and right. God forbid this past year without it. But I think if anything, now we will reemerge with knowing deeply how important that human connection is, the, the real eye contact, the human hugs, the touching, the shaking of hands, the things that, you know, we have so missed this past year. Yeah. And it's, you're bringing up so many amazing points, the eye contact in and of itself, right? Yes. If I'm looking at you on my screen, I'm not looking at you in the eye because my camera's up here. So right. even that simplicity of connection is gone in this medium. And like you said, it is a gift that, you know, this type of, of access is available to us during this crazy time. Um, 
and, and I want to talk a lot about this pivoting back into the new life of connections because I think that's going to be a really interesting, uh, you know, sociological study. Yes. yes. Um, but quickly, from a creative aspect, what a tough pivot. And I'd, I'd love to just dig in for a minute there in terms sure. of how you kind of, you know, to use one of your terms, kind of gathered yourself again to rethink what yeah. what you were yeah. really trying to get to with, with your message. Sure. Well, and I also, I want to caveat that I'm not anti-technology at all. Mm-hmm. What I kept seeing, and I think many of us would agree, that we had this over-propensity of, of um, measuring our success in terms of networking and connectivity by the number of followers, mm-hmm. by the number of likes on Instagram, or, you know, when we posted something on Twitter, if it didn't get retweeted. Um, and it really dawned on me that that, that isn't what connection is about, right? Right. Um, that isn't even networking. But also that is not, um, the, you know, these platforms are all going to be nebulous in 20 years because we'll be on to the next the next platforms. So I think, you know, the, the, the point that I was trying to get at is going back to the, the, you know, the gathering of three or four people and having meaningful exchange. And actually those three or four people, that exchange lasting over a lifetime the people mm. that you depend on. So, you know, throughout the writing of the book, um, I, I interviewed um, close to 35 or so people that have made building connections part of their, you know, how they how they were successful, right? I mean, where where it was a, it, it was just, again, part of everything that, that he, she, or they did. And so it, it isn't just from my perspective. Um, so, you know, people say, you know, how did you write this book during, a, you know, this time of great isolation? It was the elephant in the room. These, you know, mm. the, even if we were talking about how they connected through life, it, it, it eventually ended up dawning, like, what are you doing today to stay in, in touch? How are you stay, How are you connecting with loved ones when we are so deeply isolated? So it very much was part of the book, but the yeah. book is not about connecting during the pandemic. Right, right. It's not about clicking that button. It's a yeah. much deeper. Yeah. And you taught me something during our first moments together um, where, you know, we were trying to figure out this technology thing and, it, and it's frustrating and you're looking forward to having that meaningful moment with somebody and then something comes in that prevents it. And I naturally, which I do as I stare out my window, started to talk about the weather. <laughs> And you taught me something there because I've become very aware of it over my past few um, meetings when that comes up is that notion of of small talk. And, and, and I would love if you would share your perspective on, you know, where that comes from. How do we move past it? Why is it less meaningful? Um, share, share your perspective because that was sure. such a nice moment for me to hear. And I learned so much from that one exchange. You mean during my panic when I couldn't get the, um, the podcast, uh, software to, to work. <laughs> you're, you're pretty cool <laughs> under pressure. I have to say. Oh my goodness. That comes with age. I honestly think, <laughs> um, well in back in the mid eighties, I had the fortuitous opportunity to live in Denmark with a Danish family, um, mm. during my junior year abroad. And my Danish parents would always laugh and say, when Americans are nervous or they don't know, um, they, they want to fill airspace, they talk about the weather. And I have to say, in you know the last 30 some odd years, 
I have noticed. And this past year, when we've been on these, you know, uh, just inescapable Zoom calls, Google Meets uh, or Google Hangouts, um, FaceTimes, inevitably there would be these pauses and everyone would talk about the weather, which leads to nothing. You mm-hmm. do not learn anything about anyone except maybe, you know, what she or he thinks about climate change, right? I mean, that, right. which, you know, tells you a bit maybe about how they, you know, study science or or perhaps, you know, their, their political leanings, which don't even get me started because climate <laughs> is not, shouldn't be politicized. Um, but no, nor should a health crisis, but once again, don't even get me started. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's for the next podcast, right? But no, I, it doesn't help you understand where people are at, what is help, you know, what, what are they fearful of? What are they, well, I guess maybe with an impending tornado or something, you might, you might understand somebody's fear, but um, it doesn't help you open up any kind of meaningful dialogue. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Eight years ago, when I started my company, and and we've grown, um, and certainly this year, when we would get together and have our you know weekly meetings, um, various celebratory gatherings, happy hours, etc., I would always try to pick something to to um, launch a more meaningful conversation and help the team get to know each other. Because believe it or not, there are people who work at McPherson Strategies who I've never met in real life. Okay, mm. in this past year, so right. we've done things like. You know, it, it, when you it, instead of saying hi, I'm you know Susan and I'm a senior account executive or what have you, it would, I would I would ask for the prompt. What was your favorite food as a child? Hmm. Okay, where at the end of this pandemic, if you could pick one city in the world you want to beam yourself to, what would that one city be? So these types of questions, guess what? They elicit something you will learn about somebody that will then lead to something else, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when you learn what somebody's favorite food was was for, as a child, that can tell you about when they grew up, where they grew up, you know, a, a bit about, you know, just their, their likes and dislikes. So much deeper than what is the weather like in Chicago today. Yeah. And, and what a meaningful kind of script flip to to engage in those moments as a way to learn more about someone versus exactly. just trying to get to where you're going all yeah. the time. Yeah, which I think you just very um, are, uh, brilliantly articulated what I fervently see is the difference between networking and connecting. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not anti-networking. Do I never, you know, we all need to network, but I see networking as a means to an end, walking mm-hmm. into a room, walking virtually or in the convention hall or conference or boardroom where you basically can collect cards and, you know, maybe you'll follow up. Maybe you won't. Um, maybe if that, that one job you want at that one company, you will reach out to that one person. Deeply connecting is something that evolves and continues and is reciprocal and is sometimes very one-sided and sometimes very the other sided, mm-hmm. but it mm-hmm. ebbs and flows. Uh, and, and it isn't about you. It is about the we, it is about the circle and the continuing um, feeding and nurturing of relationships. Yeah. And it's, I, I love that you make that differentiation on the word because I feel like when I started my career, networking was this, 
this thing you had to do. And yeah. I envisioned walking into these conferences where, frankly, as a woman in, in the technology space or in the advertising space, we weren't always hugely represented. Um, and it became a very intimidating concept and something where I had a knee-jerk aversion to. And But that said, I, I'm an extrovert. I like a party as much as the next person. And I'm like, oh my God, imagine for an introvert having to go out yeah. and do this for the sake of their career. Um, but then I think, I, I don't know when it was, but when I realized like, I'm going to not use that word. It's mm -hmm. just, I'm just meeting people. Yeah. And, and some of these people are my people and we've stayed in touch for decades or some of these people I met once and we loved each other, but we never had a need to follow up again. And that's okay too. You know, exactly. and just kind of putting everything into a different perspective of more the the joy of humanity versus an exchange of an odd little rectangle piece of paper um, made it much more enjoyable to me and, and much more fun, frankly. It, it, you, you basically just described a good ethos of the book. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's that, that, that concept of, you know, and, and I think what I'm really realizing certainly this year that I enjoy is that I'm still meeting people, even if I'm not leaving my house and I'm still yeah. in my workout pants, right? Like I'm still <laughs> finding a way to connect with people, um, you know, obviously through through this platform and others. Um, but, you know, I think there is this also actually let me completely back up and, and pivot I would love to dig into your thoughts about, you know, what I'm thinking of as like a re-entry into yeah. life, right? And I think there's going to be a lot of psychological damage for individuals to go through, right? There's this concept of, you know, even my 13-year-old son was saying when he sees certain movies, he gets that moment of, oh, they're standing so close, right? So this wow. is so deeply ingrained in all of our yeah. kind of, you know individual protections or fight or flight mode right now. Um, how do you kind of see that playing out in a way that we can, you know, maybe collectively help each other when we get back into these connections into sure. these times that we can be together? Sure. Well, I have to you know, give you a caveat. I'm not a sociologist, um, <laughs> nor, you know, have any degree in, in medical studies or, or, or anything along those lines, but I do believe it isn't going to be this kumbaya moment where, uh, you know, it looks like you know, uh, post-World War II in Times Square, right? You know, those, those oh, famous bummer. imagery. I was so excited for that. <laughs> <laughs> I do think it is going to be a gradual. Um, mm -hmm. I think, you know, people are going to start with very small gatherings. Um, but I do think it is it, it, it is very much like riding a bike, okay? Mm -hmm. um, and for those of us who have ridden a bike, you know, and it happens to me every year when, you know, summer comes and I get my bike out of storage and I get it, you know, back, um, you know, uh, what is it called when they get it all set for summer? Oh, <laughs> like a tuna. Tuna. A tuna. A tuna. Yeah. Yes. There's always that first ride down the block where I'm like, shit, I'm going to fall. <laughs> yeah. But then, yeah. you know, within a, a, a few blocks, I'm comfortable, even though, you know, I still get a little nervous in, in Brooklyn and New York City streets riding bikes. Um, as, rightfully as so. anyone should. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, it, I do believe that is what is going to happen. Um, and I, so I, I think, you know, 
yes, it's going to be scary at first. It's going to be exhausting first. But in some ways, to me, and this is my personal opinion, you know, wearing masks when you're talking to people is exhausting because you mm-hmm. you don't have the same clues the, that you normally get from from facial recognition and 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 uh, um, the, the the smiles and all of that. Uh, yeah. And and also, I don't know about you, but I have trouble hearing when I'm yes. wearing my mask. I it, it, it's a, it's a very strange sensation. So I do believe once that is removed, there will be such a sigh of relief. Yeah. Um, that I think the joy will replace any sense of, of anxiety that perhaps we have. Yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful for that reaction. It's funny, I was just talking to my father yesterday about this because he is hard of hearing and uh, he's like... I- I don't even want to go out anymore because I can't understand anybody. Yeah. It was hard to begin with. <laughs> no, I'm at the bus stop with my daughter trying to like say thank you to the bus driver or ask what time pickup is. And I'm pulling down my mask and I'm feeling guilty and putting it back up. You know, it's just that, that part of it is really an unnecessary, yeah. uh, not sorry, I take that back, a necessary barrier, but a, a, a barrier to a connection that is um, just really tough to navigate in the, in the short term right now. Um, so I'd love to talk about your work specifically. Sure. And, and you have this gather, ask, do yep. framework. Yep. Can you describe that for us? Absolutely. Um, you know, for years I have, my joy, my my orgasm is essentially bringing people together and, and watching it. the magic happen. And I once had a friend who said to me uh, several years ago, one thing I've learned from you, Susan, is it's okay to introduce two friends and not have the fear of being then left out. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And, you know, that is the, the notion of this constellation of communities that you are connecting and overlapping that are constantly ebbing and flowing. But when people kept saying, Susan, write a book, write a book, write a book, I was like, no one needs to hear from me. And honestly, I didn't, I, I just did this. Like, I didn't think really about how. And then it finally, um, my company, you know, I did some some um, financial reviews over the last few years after we've been around for a while, and it dawned on me that about ninety eight percent of our business had been inbound, and mm. you know, I I did some studies comparing that to other communications consultancies or just consulting firms in general, and that is that is unu- that is very unusual, extraordinary, okay? yeah, and. I mean, we do damn good work. I, I, you know, I would never take anything away, but that's like, that's like really stellar. So, and, and, and very much word of mouth. And it really became apparent that it was those meetings, those introductions that I took in my twenties and thirties, not with the knowledge that, oh, in 30 years, I'm going to come back and call on you. (laughs) Like it was never even, you know, a blip on the radar. Right. And so I really did some soul searching and I, I, and I really realized what I actually do is a methodology, and that is gather, ask, do. Um, and you know, I don't want to bore your listeners with the full arch. Um, and obviously, then nobody needs to buy. Oh, I was going to say you want to you want to tease them. Exactly. Yes. Um, but the gather is, is where you do or when you do some deep reflection. And I do think this right now in this kind of you know, pre-phase of returning to whatever sense of normalcy we return to um, is the time to kind of do some thinking as to what is the community you want to build around you? 
Mm-hmm. What is important to you? What is your, you know, I, I call it in the book, your four, 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 four years out, four months out and four days out. And, and, you know, really think about it. And this can be, you know, certainly professionally, but also personally. And to me, very much of that dovetails now at this point in my life. Um, and once you have that, you can potentially move to quote unquote, the next phase. And mind you, this is a constantly, you know, you go back to gather, then you go to ask. And ask is really um, learning how to inquire, be curious, and ask the right questions of others so that you can get a sense of what's important to them mm-hmm. so that you can then be a responsive and helpful human being. Because mm-hmm. one theme that runs through the entire book is instead of leading with what can I get is how can I help? What can mm-hmm. I, what can I do? Not only, and I, this sounds so Pollyanna-ish, but to make the world a better place. And to me, the best way to make the world a better place is to help each other. Yep. But we can only help each other if we are empathetic and listen. And the ask part really is very prescriptive on helping people have the toolbox to be able to ask the right questions so you can get to the point where you can be helping. Mm-hmm. And then alas, we get to do. And once you have that plethora of information about individuals, you can go into the doing, the responding, the helping, the connecting, the leading the way, the showing the path. And to me, this is a constant and um, evolving kind of picture. And practice does make perfect in terms of, of you know, asking the right questions that will elicit the right responses and then being able to actually follow through. And follow through is really important because mm-hmm. then you establish trust, you establish dependability, um, and you become known as that person who I think is a very good non- moniker to be, and that is the person who gets the proverbial stuff done. Yeah. I, I mean, it's so... Uh... It, while it's a methodology, a lot of it seems very natural. It's and natural. Organic. It's natural. This is not going to win a Nobel Prize for. <laughs> no, and I'm not. I'm not diminishing the work no. at all. What, I, what I'm sharing is that we all have the ability to consider these things in a very organic way in everyday, you know, relationships and conversations, in a way that kind of cuts through. Um, now I'll share, I, I've had moments with, with this platform where I'll have somebody say, you know, I'd love to contribute. Um, and, and it's not quite clear to me, like where that connection is or what the ideas are, why it makes sense. And it, it's kind of, they're kind of jumping to the do part yeah. and, and, and we're missing that moment of why it's meaningful, why it's worthwhile. And I'm not saying what they do or what I do isn't worthwhile. It's just, why is it worthwhile together? What, what like connections, like you said, the constellation. And I love that visual because it's so beautiful that, you know, where do we collide in such a great way that we can bring that to share with others mm-hmm. so that it's important to them? Um, and I think when you miss that, those key building blocks of it, sure. that's where it feels unnatural or transactional. Yep. And, and, and I don't, um, you know, maybe it's, you know, me being middle-aged or whatever it is, but I don't have time for that. And I don't think these people do either, you know, find something that's going to have 
a deeper, you know, kind of thread for you to exactly. go after. Um, exactly. Well, and you mentioned introverts earlier on and extroverts. This is a much uh, easier lift for an introvert than an extrovert mm. because it isn't, it doesn't have to be millions or hundreds of people. It can be three people. It can be two people, which, you know, from, from the introverts I know in my life is much more palatable. Um, yeah. One of the quote unquote characters I interviewed for the book was a, a woman I so respect and admire who also happens to be a good friend. Her name is Maura Aaron's Melee. And she wrote the book Hiding in the Bathroom. She also <laughs> has a delightful podcast, um, highly recommended. Um, and, you know, she really talks about living a life of being an introvert and mm-hmm. her notion, you know, she very much understood this, this um, methodology. But one of the uh, words of advice she had was find the connector in the room. And mm. the same way, you know, years ago, when, when, when you would date, for instance, you would have a wing woman or a wing man or a wing person. Um, and, and that can be helpful. Um, but the notion is this doesn't have to be, you know, this isn't a one to many. This can be one to one to one to one. And it can be over time. And that is actually it should be over time. This is not a, you know, slam, bam, thank you, ma'am thing. I think you're making such a great point about how these relationships need to build over time. This is Mm -hmm. not necessarily something that is going to happen quickly. And I think Mm -hmm. in this, you know, stage in society, we are very used to this immediate gratification. We're used to this kind of, um, you know, way of access almost, right? Like finding access to somebody who might be, you know, somebody you admire or somebody whose work resonates with yours or somebody who works at a company you'd like to be a part of, whatever that access might be. um, There's kind of this sense of I can reach out to anybody, get that connection, and we're immediately going to connect. Um, Or even like-minded because you can put so much out there through social media where, oh, well, we have the same belief systems and we're targeting similar, you know. And to me, that's, almost this um it's almost like the smoke and mirrors of sure sure like like we should we should be connected versus there's something very meaningful to what you do or how we would kind of relate as human beings and that's why we should connect and I've noticed even within my own you know community and circle there's certain people that will provide connections that are much deeper than others Yes. Um, and so there's certain referrals that I will take more, um, more readily. Yes. And, and, and be more invested in, because there's that trust of this person really knows me and knows what will be, you know, super engaging for me to be a part of. Because that person took the time to ask you the questions to learn. And again, not, you know, one conversation. I mean, this again is a multiplier effect, but when people, when you literally take the time to listen, uh, after asking the, the the meaningful questions, you're you, you have the tool you have the toolbox from which to then be able to follow up and yeah. be truly helpful. Let Let's talk about the ask piece of this a bit because there's this notion of you know, like you said, instead of what can I get, how can I help? Um, I was recently on a panel where about mentorship and somebody had asked, you know, I'm so early in my career, I can't imagine that I would have anything to bring to a mentorship relationship. And, and I was like, you 
you have a life. Of course you have something to share and of course you have something to offer. Um, what are some of your perspectives on people thinking about what they can do to help others? Sure. Well, again, this goes back to that kind of doing a little self audit of your skill set. Um, in the book, I call it the, your, your chief differentiating factor. I mean, we all know we have our specific DNA that separates us uh, from each and every one of us, let alone salamanders and, and, and bunny rabbits. But more importantly, we have our entire life's journey, whether we're 22 or 56. And everything that we have done to date has led us to have certain essence, right? Um, experiences, travels, introductions, good and bad. But mm -hmm. everything you do to the date you're living, uh, you, you, you've learned. And things that you learn, you may think to yourself, oh, that's not helpful to anyone else. But you don't know what you don't know. So to right. me, this is, this is actually the, the beauty of life, right? This notion of we don't know what's coming. Um, but I would say to, to young people that are just starting out in their career, they probably know TikTok a whole lot better than somebody like myself who still looks at it and says, geez, how does somebody do that? Especially the guy on the skateboard with the, you know, cranberry juice. Uh, right? Cranberry juice. <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm being facetious, but the, the, the point is, is, you know, and young people, you know, again, yes, you don't have the bag of tricks that you're going to have when you're 60, but there's a whole lot of, of information and knowledge you have that somebody who has been, you know, doing one job for 15 years may have no idea about. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really important to do that self-assessment and, mm -hmm. and, 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 and know that you're not going to have everything, but you're going to have some things that you can offer. And and also, I, I find a lot in my mentoring relationships that it gives me an opportunity to reflect on my own experiences and things Absolutely. that I've I've been through to pull out the lessons on something maybe I haven't reflected on until exactly. this person is bringing me a very similar scenario. So there's always there's always a gift there if you're you know if you're open to it and if you're me, you know, have the right kind of intention. I think that's what you're getting sure. to. Yeah. Well, I, I'll tell you a quick funny story. My, my dear friend, Christina Vuletta, about, oh, probably 10 or 12 years ago, started something called 40 by 20, which was a salon where she would invite 20 somethings and 40 somethings. And her original intent was, oh, the 40 somethings are going to be the ones providing all the mentoring. You know what? That theory was flipped on its head. The 20-somethings were actually providing so much, I don't want to say more, I mean, but it was a rich conversation and each brought intelligence, data, experience that helped each other. Um, and there's also just this fabulous organization called Encore, which is a nonprofit mm. that really helps bridge the gaps between different, different aid, 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 you know, I think what started out years ago is something that was focusing on helping people after a certain age now is all about connecting people of all different ages so that mm -hmm. we learn from each other. Yeah. I, I think that is, it's, it, it's very meaningful. I see it in my community at Google, we tend to skew, uh, you know, pretty young as an overall organization, but in my breadwinning women's community, there's quite a range and, and not only, you know, familial or household setups, but also in stages of their career or stages Absolutely. of their relationship. Um, and I think, you know, certainly I, I 
created the community as a way for others to learn, you know, some of the things that I had to learn on my own 15 years ago. Um, (laughs) But I'm learning so much from them in terms of how they approach relationships, how they think about their financial investments, how they plan for their future, right? They were raised in a totally different environment 20 years ago than I was. Um, And I think that's really, you know, also helps me as a parent, right? To know, okay, well, there is actually this generation before my daughter that is thinking about things in this way. So how do I prepare her to engage in those relationships? And it is, it's so beautifully mutual. And, and I think that's where, you know, this, this kind of transactional nature of, of meeting people and getting to know people is really like the huge disservice here, you know, and anyway, um, you, I, I read, and I would love to hear more about this because it sounds like such an incredible, uh, uh, habit or practice, but that your parents would share these daily letters uh, with folks in their in their circle, in their community. Can you share more about that? So many years ago, as a, as a young child in, in the late 60s, early 70s, growing up in a small town north of Albany, I would vie for real estate at the breakfast table because my parents would have five of the local newspapers uh, sprawled out across the table. And, and you say, you think five newspapers, but this was at a time when there was a lot of local newspapers. Yeah, sure. My dad would have a razor blade. My mom would have a scissors. And the two of them would clip when they saw articles that made them think of friends, relatives, colleagues, distant, co- distant cousins. And they would cut, put in, you know, a, a you you know an envelope with a stamp, um, and then my dad uh, would would actually my mom too. They both would type on manual typewriters these quick little notes saying thinking of you, and the Aww. jokes over the years was they were keeping or certainly you know my, my, sadly my mother was killed in, in a tragedy when I was um, oh I'm so sorry twenty two but my dad continued this long into the aughts uh, before he passed. And we used to, people used to joke that he kept the U.S. mail in service. Um, <laughs> and he was still in, in 2005 using a manual typewriter um, to do this. But the notion was these, these, these little snippets were ways to reach out to people. Um, yeah. You know, ways to let people know you were thinking of them. Um, ways to stay in touch. Ways to keep that relationship in, in, alive and intact. And of course, when I got to college and and my early career, I thought everyone did this. Um, And then voila, in the late 80s, the fax machine was um, became much more prolific. And all of a sudden I could do what my parents were doing, but so much more efficiently. Um, Although it was never, I don't know about you, but I never had ease using fax machines. Um, I don't think that that was just, talk about a means to an end. We were getting where we needed to go and that was a little blip in the radar. <laughs> but then, um, you know, the mid nineties, the internet happened. Okay. And all of a sudden you could clip an article that you read and you could send instantaneously to the people in your world, which you know, mm-hmm. over the years has been my calling card um, and has been a very successful business development tool, right? When you see an article about somebody and you immediately write to them and say, thinking of you, Bethany, this article totally captured your essence. And mm-hmm. just that just that notion of reaching out and doing it over time and then doing mm-hmm. it with several people, you're actually building community. 
Um, yeah. And to me, it is such a joy. And I continue to do that today. And we're already in 2021. <laughs> yeah. And I, I love that story because I do think it's such a, you know, people pop into our heads for various reasons. Yes. And when you take that time to let someone know that you were on my mind or, you know, I saw this and I knew you would think it was interesting and, and I want you to learn more about this. And it just is such a, you know, and there's such ease to do it now with technology. And in some ways it can feel a little bit less personal, yeah. but in some ways you can work to make it more personal. I think that's the point you're getting to. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's such a, lovely conversation having this with you. And I love that we got to connect through this path. And I, I know we have our constellation overlaps in so many ways in, in New York. And I'm so happy um, that this, this book and your work has brought us together. I am grateful and I'm honored. And Bethany, just continue to do what you're doing. It's, it's really oh, magical uh, and thank exemplary. You. Thank you so much. So uh, the book comes out March 23rd, March 23rd. Okay. I knew it was coming up. Um, it will be available. I assume anywhere books are sold. Yep. Um, and it is uh, the gather, the lost art of connecting the gather, ask, do method. Is there any other way that our listeners could engage or reach out to Absolutely. you? Absolutely. On all the socials, you can find me at Susan McPee one. Susan okay. MCP as in McPherson one and my company McPherson strategies is very easy, easy to be, to be found. Uh, the website, just Google as you work at Google, I can say that yeah. <laughs> and, and, and McPherson strategies. So wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your insights. I can't wait to devour this book. And um, I really appreciate all of your patience uh, through this this conversation and our last. And I'm so glad that our, our constellations have collided. Thank you so much, Bethany. Thank you. Don't forget to jump over to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. And please leave a review to give us direct feedback and also to get the podcast in front of more eyes. It's very much appreciated. 